0: Today we're talking about love, so we're gonna have a good time today. I had a couple of uh, I had a couple of interesting conversations this last week, and uh, I've had some people ask me recently why I tell so many silly stories about myself, and uh, and the last couple of weeks have been no exception because I've <laughs> I've told you some kind of ridiculous ones, and. Uh, and I think probably you understand where I'm going with some of these stories, but I just thought this morning I would uh, share with you why I do what I do and why I tell so many silly stories about myself and sometimes uh, what a lot of people would consider to be embarrassing stories about myself. And, and this is why I do this, you guys. Uh, the old school philosophy among pastors was that pastors had to maintain this, this element of respect. That, uh, that, that they believed that if anybody knew what your weaknesses were or if anybody knew that you struggled with certain things or they didn't, they, they didn't think that you were absolutely perfect and holy all the time, that people wouldn't respect you and you would lose influence in the congregation. And that's, that was really a philosophy that a lot of pastors lived by. Um, I believe personally that if I am not willing to share with you who I really am and share with you my, my weaknesses as well as my strengths and my struggles as well as my victories, then none of you will feel comfortable enough to talk about the stuff that you're struggling with. Do you know what I'm talking about? And so if I overshare sometimes, uh, I apologize. I <laughs> apologize. But the reason that I overshare is because I hope that when you have a struggle in your life that you will feel comfortable talking with me about it or finding somebody else in our church family, a small group leader or a good friend. And, and, and I hope that I can be the kind of example to you of just living life honestly and with transparency so that we can just be real about who we are. Jesus said that he didn't come for the healthy but he came for the sick. And so in a lot of ways, a church is like a hospital. And what kind of a hospital would we be if we had a bunch of sick people wandering around who were in denial about their cancer and their heart disease, and they were pretending like everything was good, and then they just keeled over dead every once in a while because nobody knew that they were struggling with whatever it was. Uh, We have to seriously and authentically share our stuff if we're truly going to be healed by Jesus. And that's what I really believe. That's one of my core values. So I hope you will bear with me as I tell more foolish stories about myself. And, uh, and together we're just becoming better people, right? If you've been at Connect for a while, would you say that you're getting better all the time? Yeah. All right. A few of us. <laughs> a bunch of us. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. Today I want to talk about love Uh, This is the third message in our series called Getting What You Want. And the first week in this series, we talked about our tendency when we want something really, really bad to make it so big in our lives that it becomes like a god to us. And uh, all of us do this from time to time in our lives, and it's a constant struggle for us to cut down those gods and, and put Jesus where whatever it is that we've made a God in our lives, we, we struggle sometimes, even if we've been following Jesus for a long time, we struggle with letting other things become gods to us. And so we're talking about a bunch of different topics that have a tendency to become gods. Last week we talked about sex, and today I want to talk about love. And many of us, for whatever reason, sometimes make love... And the acceptance and the approval and the affection of other people, that can become like a God in our lives. Now, you all have experiences that are different than mine, but, but all of us from time to time have probably experienced rejection, right? Anybody here ever experienced rejection? All right, most of us have. Uh, the rejection in my life really pales in comparison to the rejection that some of you have experienced, but nonetheless, I... I have gone through significant periods of my life where I just felt like nobody loved me at all. And I look back at junior high as being hell on earth, really. And, and probably it is for all of us. Junior high, middle school? Anybody love middle school, junior high? Anybody at all? All right. A few of you. You were the popular kids, right? <laughs> A tough time in my life. And of course, I've shared with you before that I... I enjoyed a last name that was less than dignified, and uh, and that was a struggle. And and I wasn't, you know, one of the popular kids. I wasn't a jock. I didn't play sports. And in fact, do you remember some of those labels that, that everybody in middle school and high school, you know, we had labels. When, when I grew up, the labels were pretty much, there were two of them. You were either a jock, or we called them hoods. Now they kind of call them stoners, right? I think is more... <laughs> But we had jocks and hoods, and, and the jocks were the preppies and the sports people, and the hoods were the bad boys, you know, that just went around trying to be tough and, and gnarly. And, um, and then, you know, I didn't really fit into either of those categories, so I was, just, I, I was just nothing, you know. I just didn't fit into anything, especially in middle school. I was just chief geek master nerd. I don't know what you want to call it. I, you know, there was just n- nothing that I fit into. And, and coupled with the fact that I just wasn't very cool and didn't fit into one of those social categories, uh, I had a mouth on me like you just can't believe. And, and my parents had taught me that as a nice Christian boy, I shouldn't fight with people. That wasn't appropriate behavior. So I wouldn't, you know, if somebody picked on me, I wouldn't fight back. I wouldn't beat them up. None of those kinds of stuff. Even though I was big, you know, there was no part of me that was a scrapper. But I had a mouth. And if somebody ticked me off, I would just let them have it. And the sarcas- sarcasm and the names would just flow out of my mouth with, with ease. And, and then I would get pummeled, you know? I mean... <laughs> This was a daily experience, and, and so in, in junior high especially, you know, the, the, the kids just had me figured out. I was an easy victim. So there were a lot of days that I would come home from school, and, and, and I'm not saying this to garner your, your sympathy, it, it, this is just the truth. I would come home, and my arms, both arms would just be bruised, because I would walk down the hallways, and some kid who thought he was tough would see me, and he would just sock me as hard as he could. And just nail me. And that happened most days. Probably the most humiliating thing, probably the most humiliating thing that ever happened to me was in, in junior high. And I was walking to class one day and this kid, I can still see his face in my mind. Uh, he, we called it hoiked a Do you know what I'm saying? When I say hoiked a And I heard the sound in his mouth. I won't do it for you. And he came right up to me and he spit it in my face. And I can remember, I can remember going into my class, I think it was an English class or a social studies class, and and I had this stuff all over my face. I was humiliated. And uh, and I remember saying something to the teacher, and the teacher was distracted and busy and just told me to take my seat and just, just brush it off. But I was just crushed. Just crushed. And those kinds of experiences change a person. Do you know what I'm saying? And so by the time I got to high school, I just began to completely withdraw. And in high school, I buried myself in music, buried myself in my studies, and I had just very few friends. I learned that I, I worked best if I just insulated myself from people and didn't really reach out. So my best friend's name was Robert Jeline, and he and I did really exciting things like play chess in the afternoons after school. And we were kind of eggheads. We were in the advanced math classes and all that kind of stuff. And we thought it was really fun to go to Pizza Hut and play Monopoly, you know. And uh, those were my exciting high school days. (laughs) I just didn't feel like I fit in. And it was a long time, uh, well into adulthood, before I came to the place where I really experienced... The unconditional love of Jesus that began to fill that hole in my heart that for many years I was looking to my peers to fill. And when I really encountered the the tangible, unconditional, and, and deeply spiritual love that Jesus poured into my heart, all of this stuff began to change. And I began to heal, and I began to become... A really healthy person. When that all help When that all happened. Help, help happened. So I want to ask you this morning: Think back to when you were in school. Some of you are still in school. Uh, and I want to ask you this morning: Which category would you fit into? Uh, Like I say, when I was growing up, there were only two categories, but I came up with a whole bunch of them. And if you're using your smartphone, you can can pick one of these options on your phone and take our poll. But I left a a blank on your notes this morning. And just for fun, would you just fill that in? Which of these sounds most like you? You might have been one of the jocks, those sports people that just... Uh, you, you played all the sports, you were athletic, you were popular. you might have been a stoner or a hood, like we called them when we were young. Uh, you might have called me a little bit of a goody two shoes, and some of you probably were goody Two shoes. Marion, were you a goody Two shoes? No, I, I had to pick on you. You were. I just kind of thought you were <laughs> She was called Billy Graham the Second. <laughs> my wife was a preppy that was her especially in college she was just the preppy one with the little popped collars and the docker shoes you know and the, you guys if you're my age you remember in the 80s when your shoes matched your polo shirt and that was my wife all right uh, if you're a little bit younger maybe you were a goth kid maybe you still are I don't know uh, maybe you felt like me that you were just a reject and you didn't fit into any of those categories or maybe you were a rebel or i'd call myself also an egghead burying myself in schoolwork and trying to get good grades or maybe you just say i was popular maybe you have a category that i didn't even think of anybody have some that i haven't even mentioned that was a category for you what jason a bible thumper yes kimiko was everybody's friend you still are You're one of the nicest people I know. All right, there you go. But the problem with categories, isn't it? Except for Kimiko's category. Maybe you wouldn't feel this way. But the problem with categories is if you fit neatly into one of these categories, you are rejected by one of the other groups, right? And that rejection hurts. And maybe for you, it wasn't school. I know there's there's many of you in our church family who have experienced... Uh, the deep, deep rejection of a spouse walking away from your relationship and saying, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Uh, Or maybe it's been a really significant dating relationship that uh, you've lost and that person has rejected you. Some of us in this room have experienced uh, very real rejection from a parent. And, And a parent has either said i don't love you i don't value you or they've lived in such a way that you have felt unloved by your parent. all of these things whether it's your peers your schoolmates your parents a spouse a girlfriend or a boyfriend these rejections tend in our lives to make us grasp at love it makes us have a tendency to say All I need is the love of a person. And it's very easy when we get into this kind of an emotional state, it's very easy for us to build a God to love. Two weeks ago, I talked about all the Greek gods that were worshipped centuries ago. One of the most significant goddesses that the Greek people worshipped was the goddess of love, Aphrodite. And today, we don't necessarily go to a shrine for Aphrodite to worship, but we can sacrifice everything. We can sacrifice our whole lives on the altar of grasping for love because we're trying to find somebody to fill that ache in our soul. You may be able to relate to a story I want to share with you from the book of Genesis this morning about a girl that nobody wanted, and her name was Leah. Her name was Leah. I started this story last week, and if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd love for you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 29. And if you weren't here with me last week, uh, let me just catch you up a little bit uh, about this story. Uh, Jacob was one of the heroes of the Old Testament, one of the uh, patriarchs of the nation of Israel and uh, Jacob had had to leave his family because some things that he had done fled to his mother's family, and he found a woman that he deeply loved, and her name was Rachel. But the problem with his relationship with Rachel was that she had an ugly older sister whose name was Leah. Now, I'm not going to go into all that story, but suffice it to say, Leah wasn't the most attractive person. Nobody wanted her. Her father was concerned, that he would never get rid of her and in this culture you're laughing but it's really true in this culture every human being had some sort of monetary value and girls in particular were for all practical purposes sold as wives and and it was given a nice name the name was a dowry all right a young man would come and he would either exchange goods Or in Jacob's case, services. He offered to work for Rachel for seven years to earn her as his bride. But at the last minute, Rachel's father did the old switcheroo. And instead of the lovely and beautiful and sexy Rachel, he substituted the ugly Leah for for Jacob. And he, he married her. Unbeknownst to him, he was tricked. And here he ended up with Leah. So not only was Leah an unattractive girl, but her her father felt like she was a problem to him. And so I'm sure Leah was feeling very unloved by her family. And then she was switched to marry a man who did not love her, didn't care for her. And then in the end, Jacob also married her beautiful sister, Rachel. And so here's poor Leah, the ugly girl whose family didn't appreciate her and now whose husband didn't really love her. And this is where I want to pick up the story. And if you've got your Bibles, uh, in Genesis chapter 29, I I want to start reading at verse 28. This is what it says. Jacob finished the marriage week with Leah, and then Laban, his father-in-law, gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Verse 30. Jacob lay with Rachel, or he slept with Rachel also, and then this is the key word here. And he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Can you imagine the heartbreak Leah must have lived with knowing that she was married to a man who really didn't love her? Have you seen any of those TLC shows with the multiple wives and the sister wife, all that kind of stuff? Have you seen any of those kinds of things? They're usually about the Mormon families that, that practice multiple multiple marriages, and and I've watched some of those, and there's always this constant tension in those homes because the wives are trying to live harmoniously, but there's always a little competition for the husband's love. This is how it must have been for Rachel and Leah, but it was especially difficult for Leah because she knew that Jacob didn't care for her. Let's keep reading. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Let me stop right there for a moment. Uh, My version of the Bible says Leah was not loved. That Hebrew word actually means that she was despised. Jacob's feelings for her were not just apathy, but she was despised. Or it might have actually been a technical term that meant that she was an unfavored co-wife. This was so common in this culture that they had a word for this. And Leah had this social position of being a co-wife who wasn't liked very well. We'll keep reading, verse 32. Leah became pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now look at this. And she named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Now, this is really significant. She chose a name for her son, and the name was Reuben. And the name Reuben means that my husband has seen my misery. This is, in, is this in your notes? No, it's not. It's up on your screen. Reuben means he has seen my misery. Can you imagine growing up with a name, with a name, That everyone knows was given to you hoping that you would manipulate your father into loving your mother. But this is what Leah did. She was desperately trying to catch the eye and the heart of her husband. So even in naming her sons, she chose names that were purposely manipulative. The story goes on and it says that she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son she said because the Lord heard that I am not loved or that I am despised he gave me this one too so she named him Simeon and the name Simeon means that he hears he hears and in particular you'll notice that that this is directed toward her husband the first son the first son meant he has seen my misery. Now she's saying, he has heard my misery. She was trying to capture her husband's attention by all means possible. And she was hoping if he didn't see the first son, maybe he would hear the second son. And here again, there's a second son with a manipulative name trying to capture the love of her husband. Verse 34, again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last... My husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And so he was named Levi. And Levi means attached. And again, a third son. And now, if you do the math, nine months per child, you know, we're talking three years probably at least, if not longer, that Leah is just doing everything she can to capture her husband's attention. And Levi, too was an attempt to grab Jacob's love for his mother. Finally, verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time, this time, I will praise the Lord. And she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. This was a significant turning point for Leah. This time, notice, her, her attention has been taken off her husband and now she's looking to the Lord and I love this Judah means praise Judah means praise now this is something significant if you're looking in your Bible you'll notice that when she says this time I will praise the Lord the word Lord is in all capital letters And what that means in your Bible, that's a translator's symbol. It means the proper name for God, which is Yahweh. Or the King James Version uses the word Jehovah. And that name for God was a very significant name. God had revealed his name, Yahweh, to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, decades and decades before. Abraham knew Yahweh. Isaac knew Yahweh. Jacob knew Yahweh. But Yahweh was not well known throughout the region. God had begun revealing himself to this family and there is no way that Leah could have known Yahweh except that maybe Jacob had introduced her to him. And so what we can really deduce from reading this story and reading her description is that Leah evidently had had such an encounter with Yahweh that she began to feel and experience the unconditional, remarkable love of God in her life. And he began to fill that hole that she had been trying to fill with her husband and with her sons and everyone else around her. And suddenly, the fourth kid around... She's in love with Yahweh and names her son Judah, which means I will praise the Lord. Something changed in Leah when she encountered the love of God. And this is what I want you to write in your notes. Leah's breakthrough came when she finally stopped looking to her husband and children for for fulfillment. And she found it in the Lord. She had a spiritual breakthrough when that happened. Let me ask you this this morning. Can can you relate to Leah? Have you you tried to fill your need for love with other people in whatever ways? Have, Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you knowingly or maybe unknowingly have manipulated people trying to get the attention of someone who will love you and approve of you And feel good about you. Over the years of of being a pastor, I have done dozens and dozens of weddings. And uh, I I have to tell you quite honestly, I haven't often encountered the phenomenon that we know as bridezilla. Uh, That hasn't happened very often in my experience. But more than once, I have encountered mother of the bridezilla. This has happened to me quite often. In fact, in two, different, in two different experiences that I've had, the mother of the bride has become so controlling and so demanding on all the details of a wedding that the bride and her groom-to-be have become terrified that their mother is going to throw such a temper tantrum that the wedding will be ultimately ruined and destroyed. Maybe you've had that kind of experience Maybe you're a mother of the bridezilla. I don't know. In two different situations, uh, Chris and I became so concerned for this, for this couple, these two couples, that, in, that we wanted these kids to have a beautiful wedding that was meaningful and, and in which they pledged their lives together. So this is kind of one of my dirty little secrets. So we had a couple of secret weddings because these kids were terrified that their wedding was just going to turn into a big mother's temper tantrum. And so we just had a little wedding before the wedding where they could pledge their love to one another, they could have a memorable wedding, and then the mom could have her party. This is Leah kind of behavior, isn't it? It's Leah kind of behavior. But I think most of us, maybe we don't, have behavior quite that extreme, but most of us, from time to time, get to this place where, where we build a God to love and we demand that somebody loves us. We demand that somebody love us. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen the movie or maybe the stage play Dream Girls. And, uh, and there's a wonderful song that the character Effie sings, and uh, she's played by Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson won an Academy Award for her performance in this movie. And in this movie, Effie is married to her husband, Curtis, and, uh, and he falls in love with another woman that he is working with professionally in the music industry. Uh, his mistress is beautiful and successful and is becoming a superstar, and Effie is overweight and kind of dumpy and just an ordinary girl. And her husband has fallen in love with this beautiful girl. And Effie, in this movie, becomes absolutely demanding that her husband love her because she believes that her life will become nothing if she doesn't have the love of a man. Watch this song as Jennifer Hudson sings it.
1: And I am telling you I'm not going away of the best name I'll ever know there's no way I can ever go no no
0: truth of the matter was, there was no way Effie could force her husband to love her. And the truth of the matter is, for all of us, we can't manipulate and force anyone to love us. And when we begin to demand that you're going to love me, you're going to love me, you're going to love me, and we demand it and we clutch at it, we just destroy our own lives and we destroy the lives of everyone around us By manipulating and trying to control. And ultimately what we've done is we've made love a God. Effie was a modern example of Leah who was clutching at her husband's love. Leah was the girl that nobody wanted. But there's a man that nobody wanted that I want to talk to you about today. And that man that nobody wanted was Jesus. John 1 verse 11 says, Jesus came to his own people and even they rejected him. Jesus came to his own people and even they rejected him. If you remember the story of Jesus when he was led to the cross to die, this horrible death. Even the people that were closest to him, his own disciples, deserted him. They scattered. There was no one left. And he, for all practical purposes, died alone. Nobody wanted him. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read this description. It was a prophecy about the Messiah. It was a prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. It says this. There was nothing beautiful or majestic About his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows. Acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought all his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own, Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is who Jesus is. Jesus understands the pain that you've gone through. Jesus understands the pain of people who have lived through experiences like Leah. Because he was rejected. No one loved him. No one came to him and said, wow, you're the neatest thing I've ever known. He was despised and rejected. And he went through all of it. All of this rejection. He went through it because God loves you and he loves me so passionately that he wanted to make a way for all of us who have done our own thing. That's what the end of that said. We've all left God's paths to follow our own paths. But God made a way for Jesus so that we could be restored to a love relationship with the God of Jacob, the God of Leah, Yahweh, we can be restored to the love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. And friends, if you're here this morning and you have made a God out of love, and you're demanding that people love you, and you're clutching and grasping at the love of people, or manipulating people around you because you just need love, I want you to know Jesus understands the emptiness in your heart, and Jesus invites you to come and be healed. He invites you to be healed and to be loved. Here's what I want you to write in your notes. True fulfillment will come from only one person, and that's the Savior. Now let me me wrap this up this morning with this. If everyone in the world has let you down, if you have experienced the, the most profound rejection, and you feel like Aaliyah, a girl that nobody wants, or you feel... Like me in junior high, the boy that nobody wants. You have four choices. Let me outline these four choices for you. First of all, you could blame all the people who have disappointed you over your life and move on. And what I mean by that is you could just say, Those people are worthless, they've hurt me, they're junk. I'm going to reject them because they rejected me. And I'll find somebody else who will love me. And the end result of this choice is that you will just move on to a a new relationship that will let you down. And you'll be disappointed again and again and again. And your relationships will become like an addiction where you just continually make the same mistakes, grasping at love again and again and again. Your second choice is this. You could blame yourself and you could conclude that you have no worth, you have no value, and in the end, you will just hate yourself and feel shameful for who you are. Or thirdly, you can blame the world and just decide there is nothing in this world for me. And this road will lead you to becoming a person who is empty And hard and cynical. Or the fourth choice is this. You can reorient the focus of your life towards God. And you can receive the love of God that Leah experienced. You can can receive the love of Jesus that he died to give you. And the rest of your life can be blessed. I want to end with with one quote from C.S. Lewis. Would you look at the screen? I want you to really absorb this statement. C.S. Lewis said this, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Friends, you were made for the world in which God loves you. And if you haven't yet received the love of God that heals you and restores you and fills that hole in your heart, he wants to do that in your life. All right, come on guys. Would you put your things aside and uh, bow your heads? I want us to pray together. Jesus you are amazing. Jesus you are remarkable. And the truth of the truth of this passage that we read from the Bible is so profound that you experienced all the rejection of everyone around you and you endured it and you took it You walked through it because you loved me so much, because you loved everyone in this room so much. The fact that you endured a death on the cross, the most brutal form of capital punishment that has ever been invented. The fact that you did that for me is so humbling. And Jesus, this morning, I just want to invite you to sweep through this room and begin healing those of us that hurt deep inside. I invite you, Jesus, to help us feel the love of the Father. And for those of us, Jesus, who have just built up walls trying to avoid love from other people, trying to avoid further pain from other people. Some of us have even built up walls against God because we're afraid you will let us down too. We're afraid God will reject us too. Jesus, help us to see that your love is perfect, it's faithful, and you will never, ever, ever let us down. Come, Jesus, and touch us.
2: Word, my hope, secure. He will my shield and portion me as long as life is. Feel free to stand with us. My chains are gone, I've been set free. Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy rains unending love. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. My chains are gone. I've been saved. God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy rains, unending love, amazing grace. Let's sing my chains are gone one last time, my chains are gone, I've been sent Has ransomed me in lack of love. His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. I want to
0: ask you to do something that I don't know that I've ever asked you to do before here. This is out of the ordinary, so if you're visiting with us, I want you to know this, is, this isn't this is normal for us. If you're comfortable doing this, I would just like you to reach out to God this morning. You might want to raise your hands like this. You might want to raise your hands like this. I don't know what posture you want to take, but I want you to reach out to God. And in your own words, would you just invite him to begin pouring his love into you? would you begin to pray out loud all over this room you might not feel comfortable doing that and that's okay if you don't want to but if you're comfortable praying out loud would you right now out loud begin asking God to begin pouring his love into you come on let's pray let's pray strongly and invite the love of God to begin to fill our hearts Jesus we need you this morning Jesus, we need the love of God to be poured into our hearts strongly and powerfully and phenomenally. God, we thank you for your amazing love, for your faithfulness that never ends. God, we've been hurt and we've been disappointed by other people, but we need you to come in and fill that hole in our heart. God, come and flood us with the love of Jesus just flood us and Jesus we need you to heal us this morning would you begin to do that for those of us that have been bruised and hurt and beaten up by the world would you heal us Jesus that's what you came to do and we ask you and we we reach out to you believing that you are beginning that healing process right now thank you Jesus thank you
1: Jesus thank
0: you Jesus would you just keep your eyes closed for just a moment? If you're here this morning and you have never, you have never received Jesus as your Savior before, you have never said yes to the love of Jesus and asked Him to forgive you and start you on a new life, I I just want to end this time by, by praying with you. I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you, but I would be so honored to lead you in a prayer of coming to Jesus for the first time. If you're here, would you raise your hand real high so I can see you and catch my eye so I know that you're wanting prayer for that this morning? Is there anybody here this morning that needs to receive Jesus for the first time? If I don't see you, wave at me a little bit. All right, I don't see anybody. Jesus, we just thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your healing. I believe, Jesus, you're starting something that you will complete in the next period of time. Lead us, Lord, to a significant and ongoing love relationship with the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated for just a moment? The New Testament tells us that God speaks to us in a variety of ways. And, uh, and from time to time, he gives us uh, spiritual gifts, is what the New Testament calls us. Uh, and they might be gifts of exhortation or words of encouragement. Or even uh, one of the words the Bible uses is prophecy. And that's something that we encourage and we, uh, we seek as, as the family of God. And, and Marian, I'm assuming you have something you feel like the Lord would like us to know. So would you share that with us?
3: Well, we were praying the prayer before Russ asked us about knowing Jesus. Um, I just sensed there was a real reaching out, but there were just a few people that were hanging on, and the word that I saw was shame. And some of us are afraid to accept that love of God because we just are wrapped up in the shame of the decisions we've made, and I just felt really strongly that Jesus wants you to know that there is nothing that you have ever done, just like that, scripture, that can separate you from his love. And I just sense this morning, if you need prayer, that that's going to be one of the emphasis in, in the prayer room. And I just want to encourage you that God just doesn't hold those things against you. He's washed those clean, and he wants to break you out of that shame.
0: Last Sunday, uh, there was a moment as we were gathering Sunday morning. It wasn't quite the same Sunday night, but Sunday morning there was a moment where I just felt like Jesus was in this room. Like he was right here. I kind of feel that way right now again. And I don't want to move on until Jesus has done what, what he's here to do for you. And again, we don't do this often. So if this makes you uncomfortable, please forgive me. Um, but if this, if this message that Marion shared was for you, if you're crippled by shame, I believe that Jesus wants to break that off of you. Like a, like a sculptor breaks off stuff off a sculpture until it's perfect. Jesus wants to chip that off of you, that shame. And I think we just need to stop for just a moment before we conclude this morning and just pray powerfully for people that are are overcome by shame. And I think there's a couple of things you can do to break out of that shame. One is you've got to start talking about that stuff with someone you trust who can pray with you. But a first step might be this this morning. And I I just feel like this is where, where the Lord is prompting us to go. If you're crippled by shame and you need that broken off of you, would you just stand where you are and we're going to pray for you. Okay, You don't have to share anything with anybody right now. Nobody's going to call you this week and find out what you're ashamed of. This is just a first step for you to take. And we're going to pray for that shame to be broken off of you. Okay. So I, I, I know there's a bunch of us hanging on to shame. So wherever you are, would you pop up, stand? We're going to pray. Okay? Come on. hmm Thank you. This is a powerful moment in the spirit. If you need this, please don't, please don't hold back this morning. hmm Anybody else? We're going to pray in just a moment. All right. Some of you that feel comfortable praying with some people, would you would you come and gather around these ones? We're going to pray powerfully. in the seats would you just join me in praying for these people Uh, pray strongly this is a spiritual moment and we are asking God for a spiritual breakthrough in these people's lives this morning Lord Jesus Christ we believe that the power of your name is stronger than every power that keeps us in bondage And specifically, Lord, we know that your grace, your forgiveness, your restoration is more powerful than the bondage of shame. And in Jesus' name, we speak to this bondage in people's lives and we command it to be broken. And we command the bondage to break off. We proclaim freedom in the spiritual realm to every person that is struggling with shame. Jesus, we pray right now that your forgiveness and your love will rush in to the empty place that that shame has kept filled with hardness and bitterness and fear. And we pray that your forgiveness and your love will bring a freedom, Jesus, that will be profound and real and tangible, even as we pray right now. And Jesus, we thank you. We give you praise. And we love you, Lord Jesus. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, yes. stand together please